Uh, this Sunday, uh, often when you're preaching and preparing to talk about the, res- the resurrection of, of God and the changing of the world, you, you wish you could preach lots of sermons. And so today I'm just going to preach another Easter sermon. And uh, I'm not going to ask you if that's okay with you because that's what we're, we're going to do. But one of the reasons I, I wanted to do this is because uh, I just, yeah, do you ever feel like uh, after the thrill of Easter, uh, you kind of slip back into your previous spiritual thunder or slumber. You know, it's like, wow, Easter was incredible. You know, like on, on Easter morning last week when we were all gathered here together with the, the plants and the smells and the special donuts and the bacon and all of those things, we were ready to run through a brick wall to take hold of the resurrection power, right? Like we were bursting at the seam. We couldn't wait to do it. But then a week later, I think we often are scratching our heads, kind of wondering, how do I actually live in this thing, resurrection power? How do I live out the hope of Easter uh, throughout my life? Uh, The New Testament, it's interesting, uh, Luke in particular, in his book of Acts and in this book of Luke, the gospel, there's two big road revelation stories where uh, there's these people, then they encounter the resurrection of Jesus on a road, on a path. Uh, one of them is the road to Damascus. Uh, it's this road that, that leads to this other town, and Paul, then his name was Saul, was on this horse, and he was ready to go persecute some more Christians. Like He was a, he was a radical, anti-Jesus kind of person. And he was on this horse, and then there's this blazing, shining light. He falls off the horse. The God, Jesus, speaks to him. He's blinded afterwards. He's been given these instructions that are going to now take over his entire life. Like, now he has this big, broad purpose forever. Uh, He has to go to this town where he waits, and then this other man who also got a vision comes to him and helps him not be blind anymore. And then that's just, that's the story, the road to Damascus. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Then the other road is the road to Emmaus, where there's two friends who are walking uh, this seven-mile road from Jerusalem to this other village. And they're talking with Jesus as they walk along, but they don't recognize Jesus. They have no idea that that's who it is. And they're with him, and they're talking about the events of the weekend, and they're talking about the things of God, and they talk about the story of God and all of the scriptures, and it ends with them kind of coercing Jesus to come share a meal with them, and then they sit down, they break bread, and it's at that moment they have this massive epiphany that who they've... (laughs) Epiphany. Uh, They have this massive uh, kind of epiphany Uh, where they realize that they've been with Jesus all along, that the things that he's been saying, uh, the, the person that they've been with has been the resurrection and the life right in front of them. You know, this, this big, you know, sparks moment uh, isn't blazing saddles and glory and blindness and miracles. It's actually really ordinary and a long conversation that you might have with someone as you walk a couple miles or walk a couple blocks around your neighborhood. The, the pennies drop, so to speak, uh, but Jesus had already been with them for a long while. And I think what's, what's great about these two stories is that the story of Paul being blinded by the light of the resurrection is totally a story that could become your story. 
But the story of Emmaus, I know, is almost everybody's story. That we're walking through life and we're around Jesus and we're hearing and we're learning all of these things. And then there's this moment that's pretty ordinary when we realize that we have been walking and hearing the truth about who God is from the mouth of God himself. Uh, See, I believe that we can sense the excitement of Easter, uh, the clothes, the food, uh, the special music, like the kids, what they did. That was like super special. Kudos, Katie, for the choreography and everybody else who did it. Uh, There's a special sermon. You know, it's a special day. Like, people who don't even believe this stuff participate in it, right? But then when we return to Monday and Tuesday, we go back into the ordinary, and there's nothing special anymore. And then we're just kind of wondering, I think, and waiting through the rest of our lives for Jesus to interrupt it again with the spectacular and with the special, you know, flashes of light, and that's going to build our knowledge of God. That's going to vanquish all of the doubts that we have. That's going to increase our understanding of the story of the whole world. And then that's whenever that next spark happens, we're going to take hold of this resurrection life. Uh, You might uh, find this surprising, but some of the most basic principles for how to live a life in the power of the resurrection comes in the the aftermath in the Gospels. Uh, After Jesus has risen from the dead, we see all of these incredible principles, very, very practical. And and if you're with us a lot, you're going to find this super surprising too. Today, I'm going to actually be practical, maybe. That's my goal. That's my hope. Uh, around uh, how to follow Jesus. And the way that Jesus interacts with his disciples and the things that they're doing and the things that they're asking, I think are a pathway for us. Uh, And so today we're going to look at this final chapter of Luke uh, and see there's these four ways, and some of them have conjunctions, so it might be six. So if you really like that slide with the math, this slide's going to bother you. (laughs) But anyway, these are the four things. There's walking and talking with Jesus, There's doubting and seeing truth. Uh, There's an immersion into the true story, the whole story. And then there's witnessing uh, in power. Uh, These are the the four things. And so today we're going to talk through each of these, uh, each of these kind of ways after I read uh, this really great uh, big chunk of scripture that starts with the road to uh, Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. This is what it says. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these last days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as these women had said, they, but they did not see Jesus. And Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and sang, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened and thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures, and he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnessing, witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is God's word. Amen. It's good. The first principle, my full practicality is around walking and talking with Jesus. Uh, the, the, these uh, disciples who are leaving the city and they're on their way, as we've already discussed, they find themselves concerned with what has happened. They're overwhelmed with what, what they've witnessed. They, they're troubled, they're, they're concerned, they're anxious, they're confused. Uh, they, they feel like they don't know which way is up and what the purpose of their life is anymore. And they're going about and this person appears and they begin to talk with them. I know this sounds just so basic and simple, but it's true. Like one of the main ways that we process and follow Jesus and take hold of the resurrection is to talk with Jesus about the things that are confusing to us, that we struggle with, the events of the day, the, the things that are overwhelming to us is just to talk with Jesus as we go through life. Uh, the, the whole metaphor of journey and path and walking is just baked into almost every book in the entire scriptures. The people, you can kind of look at the whole Bible as just kind of people going from one place 
to another with the presence of God with them or the presence of God sending them. Like that is kind of one way to read the entire scriptures. Adam and Eve in the garden, walking with God in the cool of the day. Then they leave the garden because of their sin and rebellion. But then God takes Abraham and Sarah and he pushes them onto this journey where they then travel around, right? I could go through the whole Bible, but I promised I would be really practical. But the, the main thing is, is that God in his power and his understanding walks with people through the circumstances and the realities of their life. If Easter is true, and we talked a lot last week, Easter is true. The resurrection happened. What it means is that these words that Jesus said to his disciples, I will be with you always to the end of the age, that's true. That is true for you. There's not a circumstance, there's not a day, there's not an errand, there's not a chore in which the living God is not with you and concerned and present and listening and speaking as well. Yeah, God comes in power and can give you that lightning bolt of revelation, but often it comes quietly and slowly when you're not even able to recognize it. And then later you look back and you say, oh, the Spirit of God has been speaking and moving through these relationships, through the scriptures, through my community, sometimes through sermons, sometimes through songs. And that's how uh, God has been comforting me and explaining things to me. Isn't that pretty great? So if Jesus is with you in all of those settings, and if he can speak, and if Jesus is speaking... Because I find that pretty great. Jesus didn't rise from the dead just to walk around and not say anything. He says a lot. You can look at all the Gospels. There's a lot of red letters after he rose from the dead. So it wasn't just this big magic trick performance that he did and said, ta-da, I rose from the dead. No, the risen Lord has things to say. And if that's true, pay attention. If that is true, pay attention. Have an expectation that God might speak into your life. Uh, for me, I have a really odd story, and it's been about a year since it happened, and I, I fully don't know what to make of it, but I'm going to tell you an odd story anyway. Uh, there was this time about a year ago where I was having this really difficult relationship with this person who was not in our church, and it was really draining and exhausting, and it kind of one of those situations where you begin to feel like, man, I just am a failure at life, just like capital L life. I just fail at it, that kind of relational tension and destruction. And I, I began to do this thing that we've talked about in the past, and we'll talk about again in Soma Praise, which is a breath prayer, where you learn to say a name of God, and then just this deep longing that you have, you don't have to put it through this like theological vice and be like, is that a true thing that I should ask God for? It's just, you have this deep longing. So my prayer became, Father, help me not be a failure. And that was just what I would pray as, I'd, as the anxiety would come, as the frustration would come, as even the helplessness would come. I would say, Father, just help me not be a, a failure. You, and the breath thing is you're supposed to breathe in and breathe out, but I've never been very good at yoga. So I'm just... Whenever they're telling you to focus on breathing, I can't do anything else except not breathe correctly. And so I breathe and I would say, Father, help me not fail. 
And then there was this day, Mirella was out of the house walking the dog, and the kids were in, in bed, and so my you know, ritual is to clean everything up. There's this beautiful moment where you feel like life is all together, and it's about 30 minutes after your kids are in bed, and you think, this is, this is what God intended. <laughs> and so I, I like try to do that as quickly as possible, because the faster that happens, the quicker I can get on to doing something that's probably much lamer than loving my kids. But I'm there, and I'm washing the dishes as fast as I can. I'm taking the trash out. I'm cleaning up dog poop outside. I'm bringing it up. Like, life is about to be really set and steady. And I'm in the middle of my kitchen, and I'm walking back. And all of a sudden, I get this sense of not being able to move anymore and freeze. And, and I have since then had my brain checked, so there's nothing. I'm good. Uh, and, I, and I couldn't move, and I had chills all over my body, and I felt as if I could hear even God speaking inside of me, uh, you are my son, and I am pleased with you. Like, I love you. And I sat there, and I just kind of cried while trying to do dishes uh, and worshiped God that that was true for me in a super mundane, ordinary moment. I didn't go on a cool spiritual retreat. Uh, I hadn't done anything very spiritual except say a very, uh, probably not very great prayer of like, help me not be a failure. You know, like theologically, I can't be a failure. You know, he's my righteousness. And so I'm, you know, right? But there I was just saying this prayer. And then all along, even looking back, I could be like, God's been saying this to me for a long time. And I didn't even recognize it. I think that's what's happening for them. And so practically for, for us as a church, I would love us to take into this kind of practice where we regularly pay attention to what God might be speaking to us. Uh, you know, monks and nuns, they've been doing this thing for hundreds of years where they would pray in the morning, in the midday, and then in the evening. Uh, it's called the, the offices or the hours. And so they, would, they pray in the morning and then they pray at lunchtime and then they pray in the evening. And, and you can you know, download some prayers, I could give some to you, but really you just set aside time where you say, oh, I'm actually not just a machine or a cog in the machine of this city or this company or this organization. I'm a human that God created and formed that I have access to and I get to walk into the holy of holies even on my lunch break. And so you could do something like that. You could do a breath prayer like I described. You could play worship music. There's also, if you really struggle, just to find the words. You know, obviously I don't struggle to find words, but I know a lot of people struggle to find words. Uh, there's this incredible book called Every Moment Holy, and it's liturgies for everyday life. And it's just this book that's filled with prayers about really mundane, ordinary stuff, like a prayer while you make coffee, a prayer for mowing the lawn, a prayer for doing laundry. I mean, it's, a, it's that kind of, why, like, how is God? And then it's a specific prayer for those moments. So if you even struggle to find the words, that could be something for you. But that is walking and talking with Jesus. Now, the next principle is about doubting and seeing the truth. I love that the disciples, uh, when Jesus appears to them, uh, they're doubting. They think that they're seeing a ghost. And Jesus tells them, you know, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? And he goes, look at my hands, look at my feet. You know, I, I have flesh, I'm flesh and bones. It was pretty, I don't know, pretty great. He doesn't perform more miracles for them. Uh, he doesn't try to remind them of these things that he's done in the past. 
uh, he gives them handshakes and hugs, and then he eats a meal with them to say, like, look, let your doubts go away and trust that I am the living God right before you. Uh, one thing that I think that we, we could get used to that would be really impactful for us as a body is if we got used to having doubts so that we could see the truth. Not, not having doubts uh, so that we can remove ourselves from the truth, but having these questions, these curiosities, this, that the disciples really thought, is he a ghost? And what they experienced through that wasn't, oh, I, you know, I can't be part of this community anymore because I, I think that Jesus is a ghost. What they got instead was a hug from the resurrected king. And what they got instead was a meal with Jesus. Uh, I want, you know, this doubting and the seeing of the truth is, could we pursue knowing the resurrection and the life, knowing truth through our doubts? Uh, there's this great uh, old missionary named Leslie Newbegin, uh, and he says this around this topic. He was from, he's an Englishman, who was in India, then came back to England, and he's like, what happened here? And then he began to try to reach uh, England the same way he was trying to reach India as a good, you know, sent person, as a good witness. And this is one of the things that he said. He says, one does not learn anything except by believing something. So all things that we learn uh, start with this fundamental, you have to believe something. Like your eyes work, your brain, like you have to start there. And conversely, he says, if one doubts everything, one learns nothing. This is a complete rebuttal to the Enlightenment and philosophers like Descartes and others who said, you have to doubt, and if you don't doubt, you can't learn anything. He's like, that's not true. You can't, if you doubt everything, you can't learn anything. But then he says, on the other hand, believing everything uncritically is the road to disaster. So what are we supposed to do? This great English person. Nothing works. Next slide, he tells us. He says, the faculty of doubt is essential. Rational doubt always rests on faith and vice versa. The relationship between the two cannot be reversed. So what, what he's saying is, it's kind of like what these disciples experienced. How did they know that Jesus was the resurrected king? Standing before him, he was their friend, their teacher, much more than a prophet now, the, the hope of all creation. How did they learn that? They started by believing this could be Jesus, and then through their doubts, they experienced the truth in him and with him. You know, doubt uh, ought to lead us to knowledge through faith. You know, we're a smart bunch. Like, a lot of us have advanced degrees. Uh, a lot of us could have advanced. Like, we're a smart group of people. I'm just, it's intimidating. Like, even you, you know, you guys haven't graduated high school, and you're really intimidating. Smart people, right? I one of the pathways to taking hold of resurrection power is to devote, your, devote yourself to the pursuit of knowing, knowledge, of, of using faith and doubt and asking questions to pursue knowing God. Uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, uh, through his great character, Demetrius Karamazov, uh, he says this. He says, it's not as a child that I believe and confess Christ, says, my Hosanna has passed through an enormous furnace of doubt. And what he's talking about and what Paul will talk about in later 
parts of the New Testament is around this reality of, like, we're not children. Maturity is actually growing to know through this furnace of doubt that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has changed all things, and you can stake your entire life on it. Jesus is not looking for blind faith. He pushes his hands forward. He says, touch them, eat with me. So that's, the, that's not super practical, I know, but, but doubt isn't putting you on the sidelines. A doubt isn't taking you off the grand restoration project that is the mission of God. Doubt is putting you in the middle of it where you walk with Jesus and you say, I want to know you, as Paul says. I want to know you and I want to know the power of your resurrection. That's my whole pursuit in life. Uh, so doubt isn't, sometimes we've mixed up doubt with cynicism that puts yourself above knowledge and you're looking down on it. That's not what I'm talking about. Some of us confuse doubt with apathy. It's like, I just don't, I want to avoid the challenge of whatever this question is. No, doubt is the pursuit, as Paul said, of knowing the power of resurrection. And practically, how do we do that? It's not actually, I don't think it's reading a bunch of books. Uh, I don't think it's uh, watching a bunch of YouTube videos about apologetics. I think we actually taste and see when we sit down with other people in our communities, not just for a few weeks, but for months and for years, and we begin to see the, the work of God in their lives, that's how we taste and see. That's how we reach out and touch the transformative power of Jesus. That's in our DNA groups, when we put ourselves in these situations where we have to walk honestly with other people, not just for a random conversation with someone that we've hired to do it, but we, we, we do it with these ordinary people and we watch their lives be shaped and changed. That's when we see uh, our doubts become knowledge. Uh, the third uh, really great pathway or principle is an immersion into the story. Twice in this passage, Jesus tells his whole disciples how to find him, like how to find the true story uh, through the prophets, through Moses, through the Psalms, through all of literature. Jesus is explaining his entire mission and purpose with the world through the scriptures. And he keeps telling them, get into those things. Look at the entire Bible. It's telling you what this whole thing has been all about. Uh, Christopher Wright says it this way. He says, the Bible renders to us the story of God's mission through God's people and their engagement with God's world for the sake of the whole of God's creation. He got into a little rhythm there. But all of it's saying is the whole of the story of the Bible is bringing us into his story. How do we live in the resurrection hope and the life and the power and all of that? It requires an immersion into his story, not our story. Um, Eugene Peterson says it maybe even better. He says, when we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. That's what I think this principle is saying. Find yourself in God's story. Immerse yourself in God's story. I know we all want new techniques, new apps, uh, new technology, new languages, new methods, all of that. But this is just the tried and true thing for thousands of years. 
the single greatest way to live a life within the, the, uh, Jesus and his power of resurrection is to be immersed in his story, to, to see his story raise every broken thing to life through the scriptures. Uh, I mean, it sounds so old-fashioned, but the reason it's old-fashioned is because it's tried and true and consistent. The Bible itself was, was created and given so that we might know God and that we might make him known through the scriptures. Like, it's a, it's a missional book for that purpose. So how do we how do, we do that? And, and I'm going to ask you guys a question because I'm sure you're tired of, of me, but how can you immerse yourself in the biblical story? How can you do that? So read some of the biblical story? That's a good go. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the encouraging parts about this is he doesn't, he doesn't pick out one section of the Bible and says, you know what, we all need to be, can't you guys see I'm all over Leviticus? So, you know, you guys should really hammer in on that. He talks about all of it, right? Every part of it. So immersing yourself into it. Yeah. What else? Or things you've done in the past. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. With all due respect, yeah. You know, like this is my idol, this is what I wanted to be like. And I'm guarding this guy, and I'm not giving him any respect. And all of a sudden, he's telling me, you know, this guy, when he played for the Knicks, they said he was the Jesus of Brooklyn. And this this homeless guy's just going off, saying all this stuff about Mark, and he's saying all this stuff about me. And there's no way he could have known any of this. And Mark's getting weird, I'm getting weird. And we're both like, this is really, you know, like, like now we're like, as we're guarding, so like, I don't know how this guy knows this stuff about it. And we're both like, just over and over again during this game. And the guy just keeps going and he keeps talking. He keeps saying things that by the end of the game, like I started like softening up on Mark now. He's like hitting threes on me and stuff. Because I, I can't find out Mark Jackson like this. You know, I didn't I didn't, I don't know how it could be anything else. I went, I went to school the next day, 
told it to all my kids, you know, they were in awe. Some mm. laughed, some thought I was crazy, but they could tell I was serious. And, and it's just been a story that I've just never, yeah. it's just incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> That's pretty great. It was just, it was an incredible thing that happened. That is incredible. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Any other ways you can immerse yourself in, in God's story besides playing basketball with Mark Jackson? It's pretty great. Next coach to be fired by the Lakers. Yeah. Mark Jackson. Yeah. Any other ways? Yeah. Totally. That's good. The church calendar? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, Katie. Yeah, that's awesome. Like a Lectio Divina or a Benedictine reading. That's the dorky way of saying it. But putting yourself in the story and like, I'm one of the characters. What if you were the guy next to the blind man being healed and hear Jesus speak? And yeah, it's so good. Yeah. I've got one more uh, principle. Uh, and it's sent uh, as witnesses or witnessing in power. At the very end of this passage, Jesus is explaining, you know, the, the whole story that he is the Messiah, the, the sent one, the Savior, the King, who's going to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And then he says, and repentance uh, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name in all nations, starting with Jerusalem. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. Uh, it's an amazing outcome, and, and how do we participate, how do we see the truth of Easter in our Monday through Sundays? It's that we get to proclaim and preach his death, his resurrection, and the forgiveness of all sin and guilt and shame, the putting back together of humanity of all that was lost. 
We get to actually proclaim that and preach that uh, with words uh, everywhere. Uh, it's, and he uses a specific word, witness. You know, like to be someone who says, I've seen some stuff. Like I, I've, I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've, I've, I've watched God raise dead things to life. Uh, I need to tell you about it. Uh, you know, I'm always quick to be like giving people my numbers. Like I saw that person bump into your car. Here's, you know, it's like where I grew up, we we're like a tattletale culture because we it, it was a dictatorship for like 50 years. And so everyone's like used to that. Like, hey, I saw that person do that thing. Here's my number. If you ever go to court, I'll let you know. You know, like I'll be there because I've seen the stuff. That's the word here. Like we try to like think of it as this big challenging thing, but that we would share our own stories, our own lives, and we would say, this is what God has done in my community, in my church, in this life, uh, in this world, that we would be witnesses to it. Uh, so how can you do that? You know, participating in your missional community, learning how to love a handful of people uh, that we've talked about and that we will talk about again during Soma Praise. How can you walk this city uh, with an eyes and ears of how can I share the truth of Jesus with other people? Uh, and lastly, what do you get for following these principles? What is it that you're going to get out of it? You know, we're kind of Americans and consumers. And you might think, what am I going to get out of it? If I give myself to these things, if I give myself to, to the living hope that is Jesus. Uh, verse 52, which is not what we read, but it's when Jesus is ascending and he says this, uh, the scriptures say this about them, these disciples. It says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Uh, what do you get for this life? Uh, you get joy. Uh, the mark of maturity, the image of someone who's walking closely with God, the, the evidence that, you, that you're right there with him is this knowledge and this deep thing called joy, that God would move in the ordinary, that all of these moments, whether they're good moments or bad moments, tragic moments, uh, extraordinary moments, you would have this deep resolve that's not just hope or happiness, but is a lasting, enduring joy that there is a God who knows, a God who cares, a God who saves, and his name is Jesus. And then he says that we're gonna go clothed in power from on high. That's a pretty great privilege of being a son or daughter of Jesus. And so I want us to go and take communion now. And, and as you take with the people, uh, your community or the people you're sitting with, I want you to even just share briefly, which, which of these paths are you gonna walk in as you try to taste and see uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus in your daily life? How are you gonna intentionally pursue joy through one of these things? Or you could say all of them. You could do like a you know, smorgasbord of it. But let's go now in power and deep joy. I'm gonna pray for us for a time of response. Jesus, uh, we thank you for being the, the hope uh, that we put our whole life on. We thank you for this amazing uh, truth that you entered the world, uh, as Jordan read in the beginning, that you didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you emptied yourself, taking the form of a man, uh, and you died and you rose again uh, as the humble servant that sets captives free. And so as we come and as we take communion, I pray that we would 
uh, be reminded of that glorious good news uh, that you have done it all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.